0: Let's go to 1st and 2nd Chronicles chapter 5. We'll read from uh, some portion of that. So uh, chapter 5 is um, describing the same account. But from different perspective. Uh, the same account as the first Kings 8, which we are going to read. First, uh, we'll go from actually verse 1. So, all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in all the things which his father David had dedicated the silver and the gold and all the furnishings, and he put them in the treasuries. Of the house of God. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. And also, the, also, King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing, sacrificing sheep. And, and oxen that could not be counted were numbered for multitude. Then the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark. And the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles. The poles extended so that the end of the poles of the Ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were, the present, who were present had sacrificed them, sanctified themselves without keeping uh, to their divisions, and the Levites who were the singers, all the all all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun with their sons and their brethren stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them. 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trump- trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in the praising and thanks, the thanking the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with cloud. So that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So let's go to First Kings chapter eight and let's see what the First Kings has to say about uh, the same incident, the same event. 1 Kings 8, verse 1, Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with king at the, at the, um, at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also the King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for a multitude. Then the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wing of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the Ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the Ark and its poles, and the the poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary." But they could not be seen from outside, and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there in, at Horeb, when the when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass, when the priests came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue Uh, Ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord fill the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. Beloved in the Lord, uh, previously. Before this chapter, Solomon continued to build the house of the Lord. It took seven years, and now finally, he finished building the house of the Lord. Now, speaking of, uh, to summarize brief history, what happened just before 1 Kings 5, he prepared to build a temple, brought skilled workers from foreign country. And he also brought building materials from outside of his kingdom. It was a, such a massive building project. It's really interesting. I'm going to mention that later too. First Kings 5 uh, describes how massive it was. Solomon had 70,000 who carried the burdens, 80,000 who carried stone in the mountains, besides 3,300. From the chiefs of Solomon's deputies who supervised the work, and then First Kings six, if you can turn to First Kings six, it's very crucial to understand the intention of the Lord when it comes to the temple. First Kings um, six continues to talk about the procedure, how building, how the temple was built. Also how big it was. Uh, also talks about many things like the chambers, structures, designs, of a uh, design of walls. So chapter 6 verse 9. So he built the temple and finished it. And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar. When the temple was finished, now he's in the process of finishing it in verse 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon. Hanging. concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statues, execute my judgments, keep my all my commandments and walk in them, I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David, and I will d- dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Which is repeated after by Solomon at the End of what we read, uh, chapter 8, verse 13. Now, uh, if you can quickly skim through the surrounding verses of verse 11, 12, and 13 in chapter 6, if you read through from verse 9 and continue until, on, until verse 14, you will notice that it would flow better if you just skip verse 10 to verse 14. In other words, it seems like the Lord suddenly interrupts in verse 11. I mean, throughout the chapter, it was all about building. It's all about building. And all of a sudden, the Lord speaks about something else. Keeping... The commandments in other words it is very crucial verse 12 is very crucial that he the Lord had to interrupt the whole narrative you see among these all these busy building things which is important yet the Lord wants to tell Solomon this one crucial thing that is Solomon he must know. What comes first? That he has, he must take God's word as top of the priority. He has to put God's word top of priority even before building this temple. This is what really matters obedience. Listen, what is in your heart is more important than what you do with your. very simple if you walk in my statues if you obey God's commandment I will bless and most importantly I will dwell among the children of Israel there's a temple good that you're building it I will dwell but you have to walk in my statues but how did Solomon do well, we know, beginning from First Kings 11, and even before, his heart was not in the right place. At the end, he did terrible. He didn't keep God's commandment. Solomon's heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, and at the end, he was after foreign gods led by foreign women. If you do this, then the promise will come true but solomon didn't do that if commands as a result solomon's as a result of solomon's unfaithfulness the people of israel did not receive the full blessing yet all these promises did come true not by solomon not through solomon All these blessings that God promised in this chapter came true to you, all God's people today. The presence of the Holy Spirit. The promise came true in Jesus Christ, the ultimate son of David, who is greater than Solomon. He showed a perfect obedience, every single law of God. He kept them perfectly. He walked in God's statutes And His obedience of the covenant promises brought covenant blessings to those who abide in Him, trust in Him. Although, I know myself that I did not keep any of the law, but God blesses us because of the Lord's obedience, considering us as if I kept all the law. So here's the theme and points of the sermon. The completion of Solomon's temple. The priest, two things happened. The priest, they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. And second, the priest sacrificed countless, countless animals and sacrifices. Offerings. So, the promise in chapter 6, verse 13, I will dwell Among the children of Israel is very important when we think about the temple, because temple is about Lord dwelling among the people of Israel. So uh, in today's passage we read that the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized the presence of the Lord, came into the temple. And as a result of verse 10 and 11, we see the glory of God filled the house of the Lord. There was a thick cloud that the priest could not continue ministering uh, to the people. So, first, let's imagine that you are one of the Israelites, one of the elders of Israel, and you were summoned by King Solomon. Let's imagine that you are one of the spectators in Jerusalem at the temple there was a feast that the king solomon gave it was a feast to celebrate completion the completion of the building a temple construction of the temple and we read from first second chronicles 5 that all the men of israel they were invited to have a feast with the king It's like you throw a party uh, when you you move into a new place, new house, or when you built a new house, you have a party and you call that housewarming party. It's like when a congregation goes into a new building, new church building, or let's say finished building a new church building, and they have a special occasion. They have a special occasion or they... I have a special service to give thanks to the Lord. And our passage says in verse 2, All the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast. Verse 3, All the elders of Israel came, and the priest took up the ark. So again, let's imagine you're one of them. And you arrived, looked at this new, beautiful, Building, newly built, decorated, furnished. People marvelled how masterfully that was built, and they heard, "Oh, did you hear that? That uh, um, that was." Is there also talked about all those beautiful, wonderful? building materials, how carefully it was chosen, the best of the best did you hear that that one came from Sidon, that one came from Lebanon did you hear the inner sanctuary was overlaid with pure gold the whole temple Solomon overlaid with gold here and their entire altar gold cherubim beautifully carved, overlaid with gold, you can read all the details about that uh, and about the craftsmanship and furnishing of the temple throughout chapters six and seven. And here's the important part. Although the construction was finished, yet it was not yet complete. There was one more thing to complete the whole building. It was all decorated. It was all um, furnished. Yet it was not complete. One thing was missing. And one more step. That is the Ark of the Covenant. Because without the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, the temple is meaningless. Because the temple is called the dwelling place of God. The temple is where people of God meets with their God, and as I said, the Ark of the Covenant represented it was the symbol of the presence of God, and the people would come to the temple with their offerings, sacrifice the animals for the forgiveness of sin, knowing that the Ark of the Covenant was in inner sanctuary. I would say the temple without the ark was like having a house, building a house, yet in there there's no people living in it. Temple without, A temple without ark is like you have important buildings like a fire station, having no firefighters or fire trucks, having police station yet without police officers, having Lord's Supper, but there's no bread and wine, So when the Ark of the Lord came, it was a big deal for them. All the men of Israel assembled. Can you imagine? All the men of Israel assembled. And at the climax, Ark was carried by the priest. And they were entering into the temple. And after that, the Levites, singers, stood at the east end of the altar... Clothed with fine linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments and harps, and listen to this. One hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets must be in quite a marvelous scene. And you can imagine the whole men of Israel, they heard the music, they know the music, they know the lyrics. They sang together with the accompaniments of various instruments led by the Levites. Can you imagine the whole uh, population of Bowmanville coming to this place, fill the parking lot and all the streets and the golf course, and then singing a song with the congregation in unison. We hear that from time to time in a big stadium when they sing national anthem. It's quite an amazing scene when people all together sing. And that's what happened here. They all praised God with one voice. They sang a famous song, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 136. Must be a very spine-tingling moment. Now, we have to see all this through the perspective of redemptive history. Here is the new temple. The temple of Solomon opened the new era. Before there was this temple, before this temple, people worshipped somewhere else, at the tabernacle, a mobile tent, mobile worship center. We are not used to the mobile worship center, but that's how it was back then. When the people of Israel, because people of Israel, they were in the desert, uh, they were they they had to follow the pillar of cloud and uh, at night in the fire. And when where the pillar of the cloud stayed, they pitched tent. And then when the people of Israel pitched the tent, the Levites they pitched the tabernacle at the center of the community. It said Tabernacle was a mobile worship place because it was made when the people of Israel, they were moving around in the desert. Then the Lord said in Deuteronomy 12 verse 5, that once the people of Israel finished wandering in the desert, but once they settle in the new promised land, the Lord will choose one fixed place for them. He will put his name for his dwelling place. And he said, you will go there. When you, ha- when you have a feast, you will go like a Passover. You will go to Jerusalem. They, well, they didn't know it was Jerusalem back then. But in the fixed place, you will go there and you will, burnt, you will bring your offerings and you will uh, offer the burnt offerings and peace offerings in that place. And then later, Jerusalem became that chosen place. So as I said, Solomon's temple marked the end of the previous era, which was the time of mobile worship center, worship place, the tent. And it opened up the new era, which is God will come and dwell in one place and govern His people. So the people were assembled. They saw the priest taking the Ark of the Lord on their shoulders, going into the building. And they noticed something here. One place, a fancy new building, newly built, decorated, furnished building, which represents new era. And the other side the ark was moved from the old place to the new place so it is fitting to build and furnish the new building with the new materials and a new things people caught people's eyes caught the new giant pillars sustaining the building their eyes were blessed by beautiful shapes and decorations that never they never seen before. You can read all about that in chapter 5. All the vessels and instruments were new and also recently dec- uh, dedicated by King David. And that the contrast was, and look, the priests are coming with the Ark of the Lord on their shoulder. There's a new building. The ark was old. How old? Well, chapter 6, verse 1 says, It came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. So it was very old, at least I would say uh, 470, 480 years. Everything is new when it comes to the temple, except one. The Ark of the Covenant. Everything changed, but the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, as we read from two places, contained two tablets of the stone, the law, which was given uh, uh, by the Lord to Moses at Mount Horeb, that when he... Uh, We read from... um, uh, I should have read the the portion of Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is I made a covenant with you, not with your fathers, at Mount Horeb. I'm sure the ark was well crafted when it was built. But you would think that after over 70, 80 years, you would think the the ark might need an upgrade. We might think Solomon could... Build a better one, a new one, maybe. Cover them with a new gold. I mean, uh, there's a little complication. As you know, are no one supposed to touch the Ark of the the Covenant. Except the priest. Unless they need to move. So there's complication that if you want to build a new Ark, God has to allow that. But the fact is, God didn't. The Lord wanted that old Ark... The same old ark which was in the old tabernacle to be moved into the temple. What does that mean? The ark of the covenant, which contains God's word, God's commandment, God's faithfulness, the word of covenant, his promise doesn't change. Everything changes, but the word of God does not change. Flower withers, flower, grass withers, flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. The flower, grass, sometimes are used to remind the brevity of our lives. Just like flower and grass, we are gone when the wind blows. But the word of God stands Forever. And do you know what else never changes? According to Hebrews it's 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. The incarnation. Of Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So we can also understand this passage like this. Apostle Paul calls us a temple of God. And we do change because of uh, this physical body gets old. And we get old, we die uh, eventually. It's sick. Deteriorate. But what is inside of the temple never changes. The Holy Spirit. God who dwells in us never changes. The word that he speaks, the commandment, the two da- tablets of stone never changes. Let's quickly visit 2 Second Corinthians. 2 Second Corinthians chapter 5. This pastor Paul gives a very interesting illustration. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Paul says. For we know that if our earthly house, that is, tent, is destroyed, and what happens? Don't panic. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. So what is the Apostle Paul saying here? He calls our bodies tent, which is to be destroyed. And Paul says we will be clothed with a new body, a new habitation, which is from heaven, the glorified body. So he gives a striking similarity when it comes, uh, when we, when it comes to the transition that happened in 1 Kings 8, the tent, the tabernacle, was no more because there's new temple. And the Solomon's temple, this temple, was a foreshadow of the works of Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ, by His work, by destroying our sin with His flesh, His tent, He opened the access to eternal home. That... Whoever abides in him, whoever believes in him, will be will be clothed, will be will be clothed with our new habitation from heaven after we are unclothed with this earthly tent. You see, our earthly body can change. It happens all the time. Susceptible to illnesses, even death. But what the Lord promises here is that the one who dwells in our hearts, the Holy Spirit, the God of covenant, He does not change, but He carves His law in our hearts that we may do them. The Holy Spirit gives us desire to keep the law. The Holy Spirit enables us to keep the law, although it's a small beginning. And how is that possible? By the works of Jesus Christ, He is the vine that we are branches. Let's go to the second point. The priest sacrificed countless animals. Now, speaking of Jesus Christ, there's another um, crucial point that we shouldn't miss in the First um, Kings eight, verse five. Verse five it says. Also the King King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Now we read about sacrifice. So two things happened. The ark of the Lord came and people sacrificing numerous animals. Now previously, when David first brought the ark up to Jerusalem, it was such a, pro- a slow process. First, Second Samuel chapter six, thirteen says, "When those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, one, two, three, four, five, six, the priests they would um, they would um, put down the ark of the covenant, and they sacrificed one oxen and sheep." Very slow process. Solomon did this, something similar. It doesn't say that they did, every, they did the sacrifice every six steps. But it says they sacrificed so many animals that day. And notice that expression in verse 5. That so many oxen, so many sheep that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Now, whoever wrote the first kings, the second kings, I would say... It could be someone, human, I'm talking about human author. If you read through, you can see that it could be a clerk from king's palace, I don't know, or prophet, or whoever that is. You notice that he is very into numbers. He's very picky about numbers. He is very particular about counting things. For instance, when he gave information about the the number of workers involved in the temple, he was very precise. And throughout 1 Kings, we get this impression that he was pretty good with numbers. How do we know? Well, he gave very detailed information about how big the temple was. Every detail, inner sanctuary, outer sanctuary, pillars, structure, how many, uh, how much, how 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 long it was, a cubit's length, width, and height, and so on. How many pillars were there? How many carts were there? How many levers were on the carts? It's very incredible that he can remember all these things, detailed numbers on every single thing. How many pomegranates decorated on the pillar? 400 of them. What kind of woods was used in the inner sanctuary? Not to mention He also all he counted how many animals the Solomon had on his table each day, very precise and detailed. And I I can understand that sometimes that when I face when I meet with uh, people who work in the construction uh, business, uh, they use the language like uh, which I'm not familiar. I'm really bad at those. Languages, like two by four, four by four, and how many things I, I get lost, and also has to do with the different um, units and measurements. I'm used to centimeters and kilo, uh, kilograms, and those world standard, and, and here, people who are into construction uh, business, they're really good with the switching from inches to centimeters and feet to whatnot, and meters. And that's understandable because that's very important. You have to know your stuff. So maybe this author was pretty good with that. Pretty up to top when it comes to numbers. But right here, and this is the main point. When it comes to sacrificing animals, he lost count. He said, could not be counted or numbered. What does that mean? Did he... Fall asleep? No, not likely. It means it's very simple. There are so many that even this author could not keep, up, keep track of them. If the animal sacrifice were appropriate to make at the Ark of the Covenant. There's a law. You violated the law, blood had to be shed. For the forgiveness of our sins. Blood sacrifice of atonement. Blood sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. Every year on the day of atonement, the high priest would make an atoning sacrifice for all the people of the nation, God's people. And that day was the only day in the year the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And then the animals have to shed blood. Why did Solomon sacrifice countless, countless animals? Probably maybe because probably because he was so happy and thankful and it was appropriate to sacrifice animals. Yes, that was the reason. But we should be able to see that from the New Testament perspective. As I said, there's no forgiveness of sins without shedding blood, Hebrews 9.22. And also the author of Hebrews says like this, Hebrews 10 verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year. He's talking about this, uh, the, um, um, the Day of Atonement. And as he said, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sins. It was a reminder. Countless reminder. Again and again and again. Every year. And on that day, every time He sacrificed. Countless animals. So animal sacrifices, especially on the Day of the Atonement, Helped, it helped prepared, helped to prepare God's people for a Savior. Countless animals, year by year, reminding people that they need atonement, they need a Savior. So that instead of making these countless sacrifices, one day a Savior would come and pay for all our sins in a single day. Not year by year, but single day by one perfect sacrifice. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 9. And Hebrews 9, 26 gives the answer. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared, Christ has appeared, put away sin by sacrifice of himself. And then we see. We're living in the time of the New Testament. We see, we, are the, we see the evidence of that whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper. See, because the works of Jesus Christ, instead of making bloody sacrifice year by year, instead we, we celebrate with bloodless, bloodless meal because Christ already secured the heavenly inhabitants for us. He took, he said, Come, who are thirsty and hungry, who are heavy burdened, take my yoke upon you, he said. My yoke is easy. Why is that that yoke easy? Because he took the difficult yoke. He gave us easy yoke to bear. Instead of sacrificing, take this easy yoke. Let us remember his grace and let us appreciate how he accomplished this so that we may praise and glorify his name. Amen.